Uh, as we open up the scriptures today, we are on the fifth sign of the seven signs that we'll take a look at in the book of John. And so <clears throat> this sign is one that, uh, that not much is told us before or after. And so as we kind of look at what's going on here, it, this sign is connected very much with the feeding of the 5,000 that we looked at last week. It's right in the heart of it. Before and after, there's statements with regard to the bread of life, that Jesus is the bread of life. And so our eyes are fixed on, on him, even as we read this passage. So I want to do is uh, read from 15 down to 21, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there and we'll, we'll take a look at um, the implications of Jesus walking on water in John chapter 6. All right, John 6, 15 says this, perceiving Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And so, Father, in addition to our prayer for Israel today, we are praying that you do this miraculous thing here in our midst today. This miraculous thing, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see Jesus, we pray. Lord, may we be far from merely getting more information about the academics of this text, but may we see the Jesus that this text points to. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, it's this miracle where finally the disciples decisively understand who Jesus is. Now, up to this point, they have seen, and you, you are reminded of the others, the first four miracles we've talked about, water to wine. And they saw that, but they didn't quite understand, although they began to believe him. John chapter 2, verse 11 says his disciples were believing in him. They were getting it. Official son is healed in John chapter 4. Then in Jerusalem, the invalid who was lame for 38 years is healed. And here's a call in Jerusalem. And the call from Jesus is this, whoever believes in me has eternal life. So you can feel the call is going out to more and more people. The feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Uh, we have just read that and thought about that. In fact, this miracle is right in the heart of that. But if we would go back to Matthew, Matthew and Mark both tell this walking on water miracle. And what Matthew wants to underscore in this is at the end of the walking on the water, um, um, excuse me, Mark says this, Mark chapter um, 6 says this, and he got into the boat with them, Jesus did, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. So keep this in mind. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. The boat has come. Jesus has got in. They are amazed. But listen to what it says next. They did not 
understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. So you and I can be in a situation where we get all the information about Jesus and even see the miracles he does, but still our hearts within us have not come to trust him. Uh, We could underscore this concept of the hardened heart if we look back at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. You remember this. And when I start reading Isaiah chapter 8, you're going to feel, you're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I felt that before. Where Isaiah says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. I'll go. Send me, Lord. And he said, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So here's the concept. I have a hard heart. And more information and more hearing and more seeing is not going to change what's going on in my heart. I need a touch from God to see who Jesus is and to welcome him into my life. That's only going to come when the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. Left to myself, I'm just going to keep on hearing and keep growing in knowledge. My heart's dull and my heart's hard and I can't eat the bread of life. And so this is not about more information. This miracle is about transformation. And that's why we're going to say it kind of uh, in this way. Uh, Jesus decisively reveals his identity as the son of God. Now, again, why, why is that the title? Or excuse me, why is that the main topic of this? And this is back to Matthew chapter 14, the telling of the, of the walking on water. They had a hard heart. They didn't get it. And in Matthew chapter 14... Jesus says to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And, when then, and then Jesus got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat, here it is, worshipped him. Now, if Jesus is not the son of God, he would have gotten up like all the angels in scripture did and said, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm not the one you should be worshiping. But he didn't. He receives the worship in the boat. You're you're now worshiping the right one. And they say in the boat, okay, let's take a little parenthesis. Prior to that, with the wind on the, on the, uh, the lake, remember that Jesus calms the storm? That's a different story. But nonetheless, in that story, the disciples, which happens before this, the disciples are all saying, who is this? What kind of man is this? How could this, what is going on here? And so feel this, they don't know. What kind of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? They don't know. But, but in Matthew chapter 14, they say, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. They're finally getting it. They're finally getting it. Jesus hasn't come, up, come to set up a political kingdom where we have all of our, our wants taken care of and he heals us all the time and he feeds us all the time and, and he's our king in this world. There's something else going on here. And the disciples don't fully understand all that's going on, but they know it's something more than a political kingdom. And they are astounded. And 
they're made. So that's why we're going to say it this way. As Jesus decisively reveals that he is the son of God, number one, take a look at this, verse 16, he sends his disciples into treacherous conditions. See that? When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And so here's what's going on. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and this huge mob crowd comes to them and, and comes to him and says, okay, we want you to be our king. And Jesus is like, okay, here we go. Another temptation has come on our way. Temptation number one, if you remember way back when, Jesus is tempted when he goes off by himself into the wilderness, and Satan says to him, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world today. And Jesus doesn't say, you shouldn't talk like that. You don't have that power. He says, it's not God's plan. The implication is Satan does have the power to give him the kingdoms of the world. Because for a time, he has ruler, he, he has power, he has sovereign control in some respects, authority at least, over. And so here you see in verse 15, if you put your finger there, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, and he realizes these 12 disciples are about to be offered a position of a lifetime, a chance of a lifetime. Money, authority, respect, a job. And so here Jesus is like, okay, ho, ho, ho. I need to get my disciples out of this troubled place. And so here's what he does. He sends them in a boat away from the crowds so that they will not have to deal with that temptation. Guys, sometimes money and power is a greater temptation and a worse problem than crazy storms and your life in danger. And that's one of the pictures of this miracle. Jesus sends them to a very treacherous condition to avoid an even more treacherous condition. They might be tempted to live for this world. They might be tempted to think, I'm all that. And so he gets them out of that temptation, but look, he sends them in to a very treacherous problem. Look, guys, we spend our whole lives trying to avoid treacherous conditions, right? Moms exist to help us avoid treacherous conditions. That's what moms do. We have this whole world where we have uh, bicycle helmets and seat belts and safety regulations, and all of you grew up in an era where you didn't have many of those things. I remember riding in the back seat on the, above the window in cars that, that my dad was driving, and there was just no, no worries about it. In fact, then they came out and said, you have to wear a seatbelt, and quietly, uh, I won't say my dad, but others, not my dad, others would say, oh, brother, we made it this far without seatbelts. We made it this far. We made it this far. Now, listen, you should wear your seatbelts. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Christ sent his disciples into treacherous waters, treacherous conditions to reveal something about himself to them there. And so, of course, we should do what we can do to re reduce danger. But just note this, that Jesus is saving them from a more treacherous situation of popularity, power, and money, and he's sending them out into the storm. We would note if we read in Matthew and Mark, Jesus made them go. So he said, guys, here's the thing. The crowds are pushing in. 
You get in that boat, go out there. I'm going to go up into the mountains by myself, away from the crowds. And up there he was praying. We'll take a look at that in just a few minutes. Get out there. And it said he made them go. Jesus is sovereignly making them go. Okay, now we're back in verse 16. Verse, 17, uh, verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. And the tense of that word dark is like the darkness has settled in. Jesus is not with them. They're alone in the boat. It's an ominous, difficult, broken hardship. And Jesus had not yet come to them. The darkness had come to them. Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, you guys are tracking with this, right, that of the disciples, the 12 disciples, four, five, six, maybe up to seven of them are professional boatsmen. That's what they were doing when Jesus called them to come. They were fishing. They have been around storms their whole life. They know what they're doing out in the storm. And Jesus is like, okay, get in the boat and go out there. You know what? Sometimes Jesus wants to try you in your area of your greatest strength. To show you that in your area of greatest strength, ability, resources, you can't save yourself. And so the lesson is beautiful as God says, go out. Go out into, Jesus says, go out into the water. The sea is rough. The strong wind is blowing. Other places it says they, they've been rowing for hours and hours. It winds up being the fourth watch of the night. It's, it's somewhere in that 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning. The strong wind is blowing. They are completely exhausted. Consider this, 12 hours prior. They were feeding 5,000. Jesus gets into the boat, sends them out. They don't sleep, and they are rowing all night long, and now their lives are in danger. Their lives are in danger for obeying Jesus. And guys, we do the same. We work with all of our skills to overcome, to cope, to arrive, to feel great about ourselves, sometimes to kind of add our kingdom to his kingdom, to add our ability to his ability Sometimes the conditions aren't improving, and we say things like this, Lord, I thought I heard you. I thought I clearly sensed that this was the next decision I should do. You told me, and now I've done it, and things are worse than ever. Now I've done it, and I'm weaker and more exhausted and more lamenting of my life than I've ever been. And in that moment, can I just tell you, in this, this miracle, the Lord may be less focused on your safety, less focused on your comfort, and more focused on revealing that he alone can save. The question of this treacherous condition is not then when, when will it be over, but who, who will save me from this trouble? Who will save me from this trouble? And so the... Um, Friends, Jesus is orchestrating the details and events, events of your life to show you that even or especially in the area of my greatest strength, I cannot save myself. And so we see those things in this initial 
uh, as Jesus sends them into the place of trouble. Keeping us for, when he, keeps, when he sends us into the place of trouble, he's keeping us from something worse, something more treacherous to our souls. When he sends us into the treacherous place, he's watching over us. And by the way, if we would look in Matthew, we would see that what Jesus was doing in Matthew is that he's keeping his eye on his disciples while they go out into the storm. So here's not what we're saying. We're not saying he sends us into the trouble and then eventually he'll come. He's saying he sends us into the trouble and always has his eye on us. Matthew says he's praying for them while they go. If God has sent you into a troublesome place, he has his eye on you. He's showing us that our skills cannot save. And if he sends you into treacherous condition, here's what we can say with confidence. He's planning a rescue. He's on the way. He's on the way to help. As Jesus decisively reveals his identity as the son of God, he overcomes impossible obstacles to get to, to, get to us. You see that in verse 19? Verse 19 says it like this. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Man, that you sent me out, we're out here, we're all working together, we're exhausted, we think we got this figured out, we've got some really good boatsmen out here, we're trying our best, and now here comes Jesus. But we, we thought there was no way for him to get to us. And sometimes your troubles makes you and me believe there's no way Jesus can get to me here. You ever had a temptation like that? Let's just be honest, an addiction like that? And you think, I am so committed to this way of thinking, to this substance, to this vice. There is no way Jesus can get to me. Listen, when he reveals that he's the son of God, he can get to you. There is nothing that can keep him from coming. Not even a body of water. Now this miracle we have to see is not a miracle of Jesus turning water to ice while he walks upon icebergs. It is not a miracle of Jesus along the shore shouting louder than you can believe into the wind that they could hear him. This is a miracle of the king of the universe who made water with the power of his word ruling over it in such a way that it became a highway for him to get to them. Jesus rules over. And lest we think this is the first time this has happened, let's not miss the Exodus references here. The Exodus reference, Jesus will feed the disciples or feed the 5,000, the crowds. And we have pictures in our mind, don't you, of, of that moment in Egypt when Jesus provides a way of escape for his people and feeds them unleavened bread and they they have the first Passover ever, and they, they observe it for years to come. Look at the Passover, the way that the bread's been provided for us. And immediately following that, looking like their lives are in danger and there's no way to escape, God comes down and parts the waters so that his people can get across a, a, a on dry ground. And Jesus doesn't part the waters. He walks on the waters. Here's what we're saying, though, is that the picture of the Old Testament of Exodus is right here in the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. He's showing himself to be the Son of God. 
He overcomes impossible obstacles to get to you. In Mark 6, 48, it says in this telling of the walking on water, it says that he, Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully. Can I just stop? Sometimes you feel like, same, same. I'm making headway painfully in my life. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing ground slowly, painfully in my life. For the wind was against them, and Mark 6.47 says he had gone up alone to pray. And we're, re, re, we're underscoring this. If Jesus has sent you into a treacherous condition, he has his eye right on you. He knows your frame. He knows how you think. He knows how you are impacted by those who have authority or influence over your situation. He knows your tendency in your life. He is intimately and closely associated with your story. And he knows what's going on. And we get all of that from Mark 6. Jesus is watching what's going on with them. He knows. Your treacherous conditions persist. He's got his eye on you. We like to say it this way. Jesus isn't just watching you. He's watching over you. And he's making a plan to come your way. John wants us to know this. These great obstacles do not prevent God from bringing good from bad. These great obstacles do not separate Jesus from personally and intimately knowing what's happening in your life. These great obstacles do not keep Jesus from effectively praying for you. And that's what he's doing right now. Scriptures say he's in heaven interceding for you right now. He knows what's going on in our lives. And nothing can keep him from coming to us. He's on the way when the storm persists. So guys, we don't need more information about Jesus. Note this, that when Jesus arrives here at the boat, he does not go into a long diatribe explaining once again that he is the Messiah. Doesn't do that. He just shows up. And we need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. But we also need a moment in our lives when we realize everything that we've been doing to try to manage a situation or manage our lives or overcome in my strength the situation, take matters into my own hand, aren't going to get it done. And we need this moment when Jesus arrives and we say, okay, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving control completely. I'm over to you. By the way, that's what Israel needs in this moment. With bombs bursting all around them and ultimate things, they need to see it's Jesus who knows. It's Jesus who's coming. It's Jesus who can turn the sea into a highway. It's Jesus who can turn the quicksand into a pathway. It's Jesus who can take the avalanche and make a tunnel to safety of grace. It's Jesus. And so, if Jesus has sent you into treacherous conditions, he is also intending to come and overcome impossible circumstances to get to you if you're watching for him. Verse 19, again, as we... uh, Prepare for this third point. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. Now, another one of the passages in Matthew says he intended to walk past them. He was just going to keep going. Now, I don't know know why they tell us that, but that seemed like a weird thing to do, right? Like the storm is raging and the boat's going down. I think I'm going to die. I'm exhausted. You came all the way out here on the water, Jesus. I'm here, right? And so this, this picture of him intending to walk by, and then Peter saying, come on, 
and the whole story of Jesus walking, or excuse me, Peter walking on water. We won't take a look at that because John doesn't emphasize that here. John emphasizes this. They were frightened, verse 20, but he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. That's the personal experience I need with Jesus today. Now we could look at the construct, it is I, it definitely is that ego on me, that just means I am that I am. Whether he intended to reveal I am that I am while he was on the water or not, we know later that John is saying the next day in the Capernaum synagogue, he's underscoring I am that I am the bread of life. He's about to reveal it. What we know for sure is that by his presence, he intended to bring peace to them. He intended, he intended to reveal himself. I don't know whether it was this. Do you ever have this question? Whether it's like, okay, I trust Jesus and Jesus is here and that's why they stopped fearing and welcoming him. I don't think that's the case. Because again, up to this point, hard, their hearts are hardened and they've said no to him. So it's not as if the presence of Jesus in their mind equals the presence of God. Not yet. This miracle changes all that for them, but not yet. So I think the opposite is true. Instead, because you showed up when I was at my greatest point of need, I now see fully who you are and trust you as the son of God. And that's what I think is going on in this miracle here. Do not be afraid, dear ones. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Um, in 2018, I ran the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon that year was 35 degrees with, uh, if you know much about the Boston Marathon, it's a point-to-point -point race. You can't set a world record at the Boston Marathon because it goes from the west to the east. It's a straight shot. And you can't set a world record because it's possible that you would have a helping wind the entire length of the course, and therefore you would have an unfair advantage. The week prior to the marathon, that's what the forecast said. I would have a helping wind the entire time. As it turns out, 35 degrees, torrential downpours, and a 35 to 40 to 45 mile an hour gust wind, headwind the entire length of the race. Before I could get to the start line, my shoes were sponges on my feet. As I got off the bus, in the, the runner's village, and I had to run three-quarters of a mile to the start line to start 20 minutes late. It was a crazy day, dude. When I got done with that, so let me just say this. The Boston fans are insane. And so the harder it rained, the louder they cheered. And I had one moment uh, at Heartbreak Hill when I turned and went, uh, and, and the, the rain persisted in this deluge, like harder rain than I've ever been at in my life, and the crowd cheered louder than you can believe. My cheering fan base, by God's grace, was Drew and Gwen. My wife, Nikki, was there. Uh, her mom and dad were there, Jeff and Laura Lines. But here's what happened. I got done with the race. I was freezing cold, wet to the bone. 
and the winds didn't stop. And I had that internal shiver in your body that won't go away. And they were prevented from coming to me because of mass transit that day. And you can imagine on Boston Marathon Day, they, they were like 15, 20 minutes late, and it felt like 15 or 20 days. And I sat in this warring bus by myself, soaked, all alone in a big city after running a marathon, wondering what I was doing with my life. <laughs> they popped out of the tunnel and came down the street, and I, was, I had my eyes fixed. And I'm talking about a 12-inch circle out the side of this bus as I sat there all by myself looking at where I thought they were going to come from. And when I saw Nikki and my team, I started weeping. They were there. And you know what I th think of when I think of that? Um, verse 20, it is I. Do not be afraid. You see what they did there? They were glad and they welcomed him into the boat. And can I just tell you, they were glad before the wind stopped. They were glad before they got to their destination it does not say they were glad when they were out of danger. It said they were glad when Jesus got in the boat. That's the point of this miracle. You and I need the presence of God in the person of Jesus in our lives. We need a Holy Spirit experience where we see that all of the information about Jesus is this moment where we're looking out the window and he arrives and we know that he's the one and the only one who can do anything about our condition and our position and our situation. And we look to him and say, I've been waiting for you. And he says, before we can even get words out of our mouth, it's I. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Can I tell you, if you're a young mom, and in the third watch of the night or fourth watch of the night, in your very area of strength, when you thought you could do it, you are out of gas. Let Jesus meet you there. Let Jesus show up and say, it's all right, I'm here. Don't be afraid. See there in verse 21, what happens? In verse 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. That's a miracle. That doesn't mean Jesus has good timing. That means somehow as Jesus got into the boat, he miraculously transported the boat, I believe, to the finish line. Right? And I think that's, there's a great quote, and Nikki's got this quote in our house. Uh, I think Walt Whitman, and she might correct me later, but it says this, we were together, I forget the rest. That's what's being shown us in verse 21. Jesus shows up, all the trouble, all the trial, all the doubt, all the effort, all the feelings of futility, all the actual brokenheartedness of your life. When Jesus gets in the boat, you're home. You're home. 
And I think there could be some of us in this room today who said, look, I know the information and I would get it right on a quiz and I heard what Jesus said and I believe him. All that, all that's true. But you might need the Holy Spirit to show up here today and help you see the real Jesus and listen to him say to you, it's I, I'm here. Don't be afraid. And then be glad as you welcome him into your boat. Listen, after this, can I just tell you, whether it's Matthew 16, you know what his disciples say after this? Uh, Jesus said, hey, Peter, you know what? I showed you who I am walking on water, and, and not a lot of other things happen between there and this telling of what happens. But he says, Peter, who do you uh, say that I am? And some people say, and Peter said, well, some people say you're the prophet. Take your finger, go up to verse 14. John 6, 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet. Some people think you're the prophet. Come to set up the kingdom in the world. Some people just think that's who you are. Well, who, who do you say that I am, Peter? Well, I was in the boat when you said it is I. I was in the boat when you said do not fear. I was a part of the 12. Remember, Judas is a part of this 12 as well. I was a part of the 12 who said, you are the son of God. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Who do you say that I am, Bill, Dave, uh, uh, Jill, Jim? Who do you say? Peter said, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Your presence here has changed everything. He got it right. Later on, we could say um, the identity of Jesus is clear. Mark chapter 8, the disciples say, you are the Christ. Here in the book of John, if we had longer, we would take this little story and we say, well, what's going on after this? After this, do they realize who he is? Look down at verse 63. At verse 63, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. That's why we're saying you need an experience with Jesus today that the Holy Spirit gives you to be able to say, I'm welcoming Jesus into my boat. That comes by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. Look at verse 66. This hard saying of who Jesus is, what does it do? After this, it says, uh, his disciples, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him. This is a summary or this is a, uh, a retelling of you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So John doesn't say that Peter's, Peter's confession of Christ, but he does say this. Here's what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed you. And we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to know you're not here to set up just a political kingdom. We need you every hour of every day. We need you. And so this miracle proves Jesus' identity to his disciples. And from this point forward, they recognize him. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But here's what we want to say as we close up. Salvation, forgiveness, 
reconciliation, justification, holiness, sanctification, prayer, fearlessness, wisdom, everything about the Christian life starts right here with this realization for you and for me. And that's at this place. And awareness and gladness and welcoming of Jesus, the Son of God, into your boat. Everything starts right there. You're glad before the storm stops. You're glad before you get to your destination. You're glad because Jesus is the Son of God and he's in your boat. Matthew 28, 20 underscores this. Lest we think, no, no, where's Jesus? I've never seen him. What does he make this? He makes this promise in Matthew 28 where he says, guys, I want you to go out and I'm sending you on mission and I want you to know that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna live in you and he's going to minister my presence to you. And he says it like this in Matthew 28. And behold, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. He will always be with you and me by the power of the Spirit. And so the call of this miracle is that it may take a storm to, to teach you and me that in, even in your area of strength, you can't. You can't do it. You cannot save yourself. You don't have the resources and if you do, oh, I pray that the Lord would open your eyes if you think you have the resources to live this life without Jesus. He's calling you. Come on. And he's arriving at the side of your boat in your storm and just saying, God, it's me. It's me. Do not be afraid. And so that is the invitation. It's the invitation to Israel today. See Jesus. It's an invitation to you with whatever you're struggling with today. Come and see Jesus. It's the Spirit who gives life. What joy it is for you and I to realize it's not only more information. It's an experience with the Son of God where you welcome him into your life. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. Father, in this room, I am aware that there are people that are dealing with ultimate things. At least two, maybe more, parents who have experienced great trouble in the last two weeks. And we need you. You have not sent them into a storm to figure this out by themselves. If you send us into treacherous conditions, it's because you intend to come close to us and help us. And I pray for dads, and I pray for grandfathers, I pray for the wealthy, I pray for the poor, I pray for the sick, I pray for the well. Lord, in all of those people and categories, I see me, a needy, needy person. And I'm asking that you would come close. And that we as a congregation would welcome you into our boat. But Lord, the truth of the matter is, again, Judas was in that boat. Every one of us needs to welcome Jesus, the Son of God. And I pray you'd help us. Lord, if there's anyone who knows all the right answers, but has never come to relinquish, surrender their lives to you, that today would be the day. 
And I pray, Lord, as we go forward from this, that we would always look and see in this miracle that you did to walk on water, to actually walk on the water to get to us, to get to your disciples, that our faith would be so encouraged in you and that uh, your identity is so proven to us and then that your presence is so real to us day by day as we move forward from this that, Lord, um, we understand this miracle to be the revelation of the Son of God to us. Dismiss us with your blessing. We pray your blessing and help and peace over Israel today. And we, uh, we ask, Lord, that we would be on mission knowing that you go with us every step of the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name.